Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 180. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm not going to give you too long of an introduction today because this episode is just part two of what we were talking about last week. I'm talking with Roseanne Kapanahaj about pans, pandas, Lyme, and inflammatory disease. So we got more in depth this time since last time we didn't have enough time to get into it, but she knows so much about this topic. We really could talk probably 10 more times and not cover it all. But I think you will find this is a deeper dive than our first discussion last week. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dig right into my conversation with Dr. Roseanne Kapanahaj. Oh, real quick, though, if you are a trauma therapist, I just want to be sure you know that registration is open for my online clinical consultation groups. The first group meeting begins May 8th which is a Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And we have space for four people. So you are welcome to join. It's a great affordable way, relatively speaking, to do clinical consultation in a group that's solely focused on trauma work using the types of techniques and methods that I talk about here on Therapy Chat. So if you're interested in that, go to www.bahealing.com slash SOAR, S-O-A-R, www.bahealing.com slash SOAR. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. So you gave us kind of the clip notes version of what you do. Let's see if we can get a little deeper into it because you talked about so many interesting things and I really want to expand or have you expand on them, if you will. 
Sure. So, you know, I mean, one of the things that we were talking about and what the book that I co-authored with Epidemic Answers, Brain Under Attack, is really about how we are have changing viewpoints about mental health and how that there are often physical causes that impact how our brain functions, right? And so we kind of forget that. And so with PANS, PANDAS, Lyme disease, tick-borne disease, Epstein-Barr, basically what happens is an infection comes in and the body has a misdirected immune response, starts attacking itself and causes all this inflammation. And it's that inflammation that causes a whole host, some of the things we talked about of psychiatric and cognitive issues. And what's so different about this viewpoint, and one, it, it totally exists and we acknowledge it. And, and uh, in terms of pans and pandas, which right now we're only saying is pediatric, but we're expanding our viewpoint in that it's, you know, one out of every 150 to 200 kids. And it's really on the rise. It's very much increasing. Well, um, and, and if it's kids, yeah, then it's not like they just don't have it anymore when they're adults, right? So that's such a great point that you bring up, Laura, about we used to think that ADHD ended at age 18, and now we know that's not the case. So, you know, with pans and pandas, there's a lot of reasons why we think it's more associated with kids. I mean, for the main reason is kids are exposed to a lot of germs and they're more prone to repeated infections. So there's more of a likelihood that they would be exposed to something that could cause uh, a reaction, an autoimmune reaction that you would see in pans and pandas. Um, and also the number one and number two groupings of people who get Lyme disease are boys. The first grouping is ages five to 10. And the second age grouping is boys 10 to 13, which is probably pretty startling to people. But if you think about it, these are the kids that are outside, they're running around, they're in, you know, wooded areas, but you don't need to be in wooded areas to get Lyme disease. So there's a lot more exposure. And when we think about pans and pandas and sort of this evolving idea of, you know, physical health, as I had noted, um, being such directly linked to our mental health, which seems like a foreign concept, but I think that people are making that connection more than allopathic medicine. Yeah, um, it's like we know, but when we go to the doctor, they say, yeah. no, there's no cause for this. There's no cause for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and that's just my everyday, right? You know, Laura, yeah. this is, these are the clients that are coming to me. I mean, I see all kinds of clients, but it's a lot of people who, you know, have seen a lot of doctors. And if I haven't mentioned this, you know, the average person with Lyme disease, just a simple, straightforward case of Lyme disease, like you get bitten by a tick, you know, you've been get, get bitten by a tick, you know, you're not feeling well, you have some of those physical symptoms, uh, often is is seen between five and seven times before an accurate diagnosis is made. And this is a huge deal because Lyme disease, tick-borne disease has three stages, right? So there's a stage where, you know, it bites you on the skin and so you get a skin component. Then there's early stage, right? And then there's late stage. And late stage Lyme disease can occur in as little as two weeks from the initial bite. And, you know, when in terms of Lyme disease, the average person sees between five to seven doctors 
for a very simple diagnosis of Lyme disease when there is a physical manifestation of Lyme disease, you know, rashes, you know, head pain, sleep, and fever, et cetera. And so, you know, and why is this really significant in mental health? It's, it's huge for us to identify and treat Lyme disease in the early stages because there are three stages. There's the skin stage where it affects the skin. It doesn't always do that for everybody. There's early stage Lyme disease and there's late stage. And late stage is where you have the neurocognitive, the neuropsychiatric issues. And the late stage can occur as little as in two weeks. And this is information people are not aware of and they're no. not making connections, right? Not they're not at making all. connections. Yeah. If you asked me, I would have said late stage is probably two to five years after they yeah. get bitten by a tick. So within two weeks, they can have psychoneurological effects Absolutely. like what would that be what are well, some of and, the common effects and and you know it can happen earlier in the early stage but in in terms of late stage now the tick the the bacteria has burrowed in they have these little screwing mechanisms if anybody ever wants to you know google what it looks like they can screw inside the hat in the cell it's very very genetically evolved bacteria. So what are some of the symptoms you would see when you have a neurocognitive or neuropsychiatric impact of Lyme disease in late stage and also physical? So you, you might have ongoing headaches, right? And as I always like to emphasize over and over again, is that this is where the confusion happens, that people can have pre-existing conditions that are worsened by infectious disease. Mm. So Sometimes people think, well, you can't have had a history at all. So you could have had a history of headaches to some degree. But now, as many of my clients with Lyme disease do, they have a headache that is significant all the time. So many of my Lyme folk experience headaches every day if that's the area that, you know, that's the symptom they experience. And it might be between a four and up every day. So if you can imagine trying to think you, and you have a headache that's between a four and an eight every day, pain level, you know, that's pretty extreme. You start to develop sleep problems. You start to develop relationship problems. So, you know, in terms of other things, you might see fatigue issues, like just really chronic fatigue. And that obviously is going to impact your cognitive functioning. So your processing is going to get slowed. Your attention is going to get slowed. You're going to be more irritable. And, and as far as the straight, some people, experience just cognitive issues. So they might not have emotional issues. They might not have physical issues, but they might have what appears to be ADD symptoms. But when you do the clinical history, there's no ADD, you know, before age seven, you mm -hmm. know, you know, those early symptoms, you know, oh yeah, their preschool teacher said they wouldn't sit down or, you know, the teacher was always talking to me or, oh yeah, Johnny would zone out, you know, those kind of things that you're looking for in their, in their history, which, which is part of the diagnostic criteria as well as, you know, and this is the confusing part about infectious disease. You know, when you talk about, oh yeah, well they, they had chronic anxiety and now it's really bad. How do you differentiate when somebody has Lyme versus good old genetic anxiety disorder. Right? Well, and this is what my my mind is doing right now is like I work with people who have trauma. So, you know, if you yes. know someone has a history of childhood trauma, mm -hmm. how can you and they aren't reporting, 
you know, anything to make you think that, I mean, now I will always be screening for tick exposure, but yes, the symptoms may have been there and then it gets worse. And you're like, is this a trauma? Is there something else? And how can you tell? That is an awesome question. And I, and I do work a lot with people with trauma and different kinds of trauma. So, you know, certainly people with preverbal trauma and early developmental trauma experience being triggered in a different way. And it becomes something that they learn to manage and hopefully successfully in their life. So how do you differentiate? So I think your clinical history, you know, for, for most therapists, really teasing things out in your clinical history or when you're working long term with a client, really delving in and asking some questions. So, you know, has there been any changes? Is, you know, what are those changes? Is there differences in sleep? You know, have they stopped responding to treatment because they're not using their toolkit, right? So maybe, you know, are there sabotaging behaviors? So look at the psychological side with somebody with trauma, but just in general when you're working with somebody. But if you had a new client and they're coming in and, you know, they're, they have anxiety and depression, you know, and you're really doing that family history, you're looking at their developmental history, you're really trying to get through the weeds and really put the pieces together. You know, what are questions you want to ask for a new client? So, you know, do you have a rash anywhere on your body? Why is that significant? Because people typically don't have a bullseye with tick-borne disease. They typically have rashes or they can have stretch marks, which are known as striations. And that is associated with Bartonella, a specific type of tick-borne bacteria. So that those are important questions. And then also to look at, you know, was there a sudden decline? Was there a gradual decline? Was there a known tick bite? Was there Epstein-Barr? Was there mono, which is Epstein-Barr? Was there the flu? And what happened at that point? You know, and I also like to get into environmental This is the kind of, this is the kind of history I like to get, but I don't think that's typical. Well, most people. To go that in depth. Yeah, it's on my intake. And these are really very, very important questions. I mean, Lyme disease in particular, you know, people think it's only in the Northeast. It is everywhere. It is in every continent. I know I said this before. It's in every continent. It's in every state. It's just where, which states have extremely high levels. So, you know, you know, Virginia has high levels. Connecticut has really high levels. They call it endemic. It's a really high, high area. We have a ton in Maryland. Ton, ton in Maryland, ton. I mean, anywhere on the North, you're in the top 14. I mean, you know, we're in there. And so it's not just because, you know, and and it's not just tick-borne, you know, disease, but you have to start thinking differently. I mean, I've been in mental health for more than 25 years and our populations are changing, not just pediatric for myself, but adults. People are physically ill. And, you know, they're having with mental health, you can have somatic symptoms, right? right. So what does that mean? We, we say somatic because we say that it's in your head, but it's a real <laughs> symptom. It's a physical symptom. It's chest pain. It's headaches. It's teeth pain, you know, TMJ, all these different things. So a good intake should really ask questions about some of those physical things. And for Lyme disease in particular, you really want to think about, you know, what are some of the common features that you see with that? So, you know, headaches, 
extreme, you know, lots of head pain or physical pain, joint pain in certain areas, but on the cognitive side, you know, also with infectious disease, are people getting better with psychotherapy? You know, we rush to medication as the first thing in psychotherapy when somebody's not working. I mean, I know of people that, you know, or come to me and say, you know, I'm right on the intake. They told me I needed medication <laughs> and I didn't come, you know, mm-hmm. five, yeah. six, 12 times. I mean, here, you know, we really believe in giving therapy a chance to work. And that typically is, you know, 12 weeks, right? Giving it some time and you know, that doesn't mean you're not seeing improvements before then. And certainly if somebody's making no improvements by the 12 weeks, but we also believe in integrative approach. So we offer these beautiful brain-based therapies, biofeedback, neurofeedback, PMF. We work with naturopaths. And so we have different ways to support the nervous system. But in terms of a therapist really trying to figure out and put their, you know, diagnostic piece, I mean, I think once you open up your eyes to the idea that people are, you know, getting diagnosed with bipolar and depression and anxiety and people are getting medicated like crazy. I oh, my mean, gosh. You know, so true. Six, seven, eight, nine medications. And, you know, this one doesn't work. And then you try another and then you have to do a sleep one. I mean, this is what's our standard of care. Right. Mm. But people are not well with that level of care which means there's something going on. So beside me using this wonderful technology that I talked about, a QEG, which, you know, gives us a visual representation of the health of the brain, really gives me a lot of deep diagnostic information. And there's people all over the world that do it. I'm not the only one. I often recommend when I hear in history, okay, so you had mono three years ago, you got quote unquote, better, you return to your job, you return to school, whatever it is, right? But then you kind of had this sort of gradual slide. And then, you know, a year later, you find yourself feeling really pretty depressed. You're not eating or you put on weight, whatever happens. And you can really look back and say, okay, there wasn't a situational stressor, right? And here's this, here's this thing that happened and you've never really returned back to your full self, right? You got better, but you didn't return back. And now you're struggling. This is where lab work is really helpful because you can look at, they can do a titer for things like Epstein-Barr, or you can get blood work for Lyme, which is tricky. And that's a whole other topic of conversation, But there's ways to look at what is going on in the brain and the body to make determinations if health is a factor in understanding what's going on with somebody and really giving them appropriate treatment, right? Because if we keep giving them psych meds and they have Epstein-Barr, you're never going to get to the root cause. You're never going to really fix what's there, you know, and that's really, really important. And they're not going to benefit from the psychotherapy. If we keep doing this top down mentality, right, that you're trying to get into the cognitive thoughts and change those thoughts. Well, how can you do that when you really need to take a bottom up approach, which means you need to get into the health of the person and see what we can do to support the nervous system and the physical health of a person so that their brain can work better and they can benefit from therapy, make those changes and move on. 
But I mean, my philosophy is whenever somebody's stuck, whatever age it is therapeutically, you got to start thinking outside the box. And unfortunately, we've had these ideas about lab work. I mean, there is amazing lab work out there, but these ideas about lab work that you know, doesn't give us valuable information that could help us as a, in the clinical world, in therapeutic world, is a silly notion. You know, there's lab work available to test what genetic issues that could prevent you from benefiting from psychiatric medication. It also can tell you what nutrients you're missing so that the nervous system can work well. And just a whole host of things that I've always found to be really useful. Yeah. So I'm just curious, do you work with a, do you have a naturopath in your office or do you have people you trust that you refer to? I have people that I trust that we refer to because people come to me from all over, Mm -hmm. um, including other states and countries. So as part of our, I have this great program that I have trademarked called 360 Reboot, and it's an intensive therapies program. And people will come fly in or drive whatever means of transportation, and they'll come and stay with and get services anywhere from 10 to 14 days typically is what we do. And in that program, I do have a physician who works in our program that provides direct support. But, you know, everyone's issues are so unique. So I like to work with a lot of integrative physicians and I love naturopaths. And sometimes I work with acupuncturists or people that are more functional MD. I am certified in integrative mental health medicine. And and all that means is that you know, I've learned a lot about nutrients and how they affect the brain, but I really like to leave. I don't do testing or lab work for that. I really believe you should work with a functional doctor. I found it to be pretty life-changing for a lot of people. It can be pretty dramatic. And even just from the idea that, you know, a lot of people can have food sensitivities and that can cause mental health issues for them is something that has sort of become accepted, right? Because gluten-free is everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and why is gluten-free a big deal for a lot of people? I'm gluten-free. I'm not celiac, but I'm incredibly sensitive to wheat and increasingly so as I got older. And I get really fatigued and feel awful, feel like cold symptoms, flu symptoms almost when I have wheat and later dairy, which is a bummer, but it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so that's become much more a part of our world and people realizing, oh, I don't feel well when I eat X, Y, and Z. So let me remove that from my diet. What's so special about Hero Bread? soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Therapist. We've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is 
If you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. You know, it's I love what you're saying right now, because, you know, as I'm listening to you, my neurons are firing like crazy. My brain is going, oh, yeah, I got to change my intake forms and, you know, and oh, I got to learn more about this. And then I'm thinking, you know, it's just it's that same idea again that I know this, that, you know, what is happening for us psychologically, what's happening with our physical bodies the food we put inside our bodies, the the things that we're exposed to in our environment, our hormones, it's all connected. All connected. <laughs> and I <Right>? know this. <laughs> right? Our physiology affects our psychology. Right. Right? We've heard that. I didn't invent that quote. I heard that from <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> I'll use it on a blog post. But anyway, and, and that's, we are somehow being, you know, led astray sometimes when we go in and we say, hey, I'm not feeling great, you know, and then they're not really deeply connecting it to a therapist, even though a lot of times they say we'll go and see a therapist, right? But if we're not looking at the nutrients, we're not looking at these other things that could be affecting you, we're kind of making a disconnect and we're kind of telling people it's in your head, right? And I I don't think regular doctors mean to do that. I think they have a lot on their plate. I think, as I always say, it comes from both ends, right? So people are demanding things to work quickly. So they demand medication or they, you know, demand a fast solution because this is our culture. And, And the same breath, you know, you have a real push from big pharma. I mean, I don't watch and manage care and manage care. Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know, it's unbelievable, like how much there's just a push and people are kind of caught in that. The great news is, is that people, there's really an awakening with people because they're like, wait a second, you know, this can't be in my head. Like, I don't feel right, you know, and I used to feel good. And now I'm depressed and anxious, but nothing specific happened to me. And that, and that's where the confusion comes when somebody has a trauma background, right? So their nervous system is going to be more disrupted in general, and they activate at a subconscious level to a lot of different triggers that they may be aware of, even at a conscious level, but mostly it's subconscious. And so they can really be very destabilized, even more than a neurotypical person with infectious disease or whatnot. It doesn't mean that you you had a horrible traumatic, you know, upbringing that you're not going to get Lyme disease, (laughs) you know, it can co-occur you know, I've had lots of situations where somebody came in for X, Y, and Z, and I'm like, you're back. You were doing great. And they're like, geez, Louise, I got Lyme disease. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, what a terrible, terrible experience. But we need, you know, we need to think differently. You know, I deal with so many different kinds of cases. And like, you know, a typical person coming in here is coming in because they're like, 
I, I had a concussion or I had Lyme or I had XYZ and it's months or years later. And they're like, well, they told me to come to a therapist because at this point they said there's nothing physically wrong with me. And I'm like, what, (laughs) you know, and you know, a classic example, and this just is a very typical kind of case that I would have here is, you know, somebody having something like a head injury and then really go down the tubes, but get better. And then seeing them later and they might have, you know, now have Lyme disease with pneumonia, X, Y, and Z, whatever. And just, you know, all different things like come into the party because your system's down, as I like to say. Yes. And, you know, and then you say, well, you know, they had a concussion. Their doctor said they're better. I mean, it must be psychological, right? You know, and this is, this is what it is. And there literally is a kid at every single high school, at least one student. There are multiple students who are getting homebound tutoring because there's something physically wrong with them, whether it's concussion or they've had illness or we know their pans, we know their Lyme, they might have OCD, they have chronic depression. And we need to really start thinking about these you know, chronic cases for sure. But I mean, I feel fortunate that I get cases that aren't chronic and somebody says, wait a second, I went to my doctor, I feel like garbage. Let me go seek out, you know, somebody who's an expert in Lyme or pans, pandas or whatever. And they just start figuring it out either by finding me on the internet or talking to a friend. But, you know, I really, big part of what I do is trying to get information out. And our therapists are right in the front line. They're catching more of these people than traditional doctors are. And the more they can empower themselves with this knowledge is really, really important. You know, this is where we need to push back and not only help our clients, but help other therapists understand this, you know, because we really can make completely change people's lives because we're giving them the real reason why they're experiencing a psychological issue, you know, and it's very common. This is not an uncommon thing. Yeah. I think, you know, for people who've experienced childhood trauma, especially chronic trauma, you know, yes, repeated traumatic experiences, the different ways that trauma shows up, you know, they, Ah. it's just so overwhelming. It's like, now it's this, now it's that before I couldn't sleep. Now I can't get out of bed. I'm sleeping all the time, you know, and, but, but what I think everyone who's listening, who's a therapist can take away one point from this is that we as therapists are probably the only person who someone's likely to come into contact with who has the opportunity to ask them about all the aspects of their life, you know, because we're not just there to treat their body. We're not just there to treat an illness or, you know, a head injury, or we can take a really comprehensive view and help them become empowered to advocate for themselves you know, within all of the different systems that they are seeking care from. Very, very true. I mean, because, you know, where does somebody spend, you know, it's not unusual for me to spend an hour and a half with somebody in an intake and to really get into those little pieces that make connections to things. You know, I, I started out working with kids with ADHD. And when I started working with kids with ADHD, I quickly had to become an expert in pretty much everything. 
<laughs> because everybody's attention is impaired. And it really helped me to be like, okay, well, what's the difference between ADHD and bipolar? And what's the difference between OCD and anxiety disorder? And really just see things really clearly. And and obviously, I have this beautiful luxury of these QEG brain maps, which really take a lot of the guessing out of things, right? So I can see people's, I can see inflammation in people's brains. I can see when somebody's had long-term infection and certain areas get touched you know, turned off and it matches up with the exact neuropsych characteristics that the person is displaying. But, you know, you're right. We're spending all this time and really helping people to understand, you know, what are all those pieces, not only diagnostically, but therapeutically, what needs to be worked on, right? And, you know, trauma is something that you know, we think of trauma and you're really the expert in trauma, but, you know, we think of trauma as these major events, right? And we're really starting to rethink that and that we all have different kinds of traumas. It's just some nervous systems are not as equipped in managing traumas. You know, I did a lot of work with the you know, the families um, impacted by Sandy Hook and um, as well as other different types of traumas. And, you know, who, who could, who could, you know, what you bring to the table with, when you're dealing with a trauma is what, how you manage a trauma. So, you know, if you're already a kid on the spectrum and you have trauma, trauma can impact you and sort of stick in your nervous system and kind of get, get into your muscle memory a lot more. That doesn't mean that's across the board, but it's, you know, what's your toolkit, right? But certainly early developmental trauma changes that nervous system, as I talked about, in a very, very different manner. And it has presented as you you definitely have, you know, gotten me thinking, Laura, because it has presented in when I'm working with somebody who's really stuck and we think they have infectious disease, but we're not sure and they have a trauma background, things can get kind of muddy. And a lot of times what happens is I'm like, you, you need to go and get blood work to rule it out, right? That's a simple should be simple. (laughs) But unless you're going to a specialist, not your regular GP, right, you're probably not going to get the answers that you want. So that's another major issue. And what I always say to therapists are connect with integrative practitioners in your area, develop good relationships with. And I love to cross-refer and and have those lovely relationships with people. And, you know, that's always a, a, a really nice part of the job and feels like you're getting great continuity of care when you when you have a good relationship with a practitioner and you're working on cases as a team. But that is you know, something that therapists need to do is, you know, identify, you know, uh, who who's a Lyme specialist, who's infectious de- disease, whether that's naturopathic care or an integrative. And not to say that there's not good physicians outside of those realms, but unless you're, you know, international ILADS, which I'm ILADS sort of member, you, you've really proven yourself that you know what you're doing with Lyme disease and then, you know, different organizations, pandas.org, you're really kind of going in there blindly. And this is why so many people see doctors, you know, it's not unusual for me to have clients that see 15, 20, 30 doctors before they get to me, which is sad, you know, and frustrating. um, I mean, people can give up before that point. And many people do. And, you know, And what happens is, you know, they often really 
start stop participating in their lives, right? They're not functional anymore. They're not employed. You know, they might have to move home. You know, if they're a kid or a young adult, you know, it's a lot easier to do that. You know, these kind of medical issues, these undiagnosed medical issues can really just destroy lives. You know, people lose their homes and and marriages and families, you know. So, and I and I hate to be so dramatic, but this is what's happening. I'm sure no, every I think therapist you're really right. I don't think you're being dramatic at all. Yeah, this is every therapist has cases like this, you know. And you know, we we need to be that connector, that person that helps to get them to where they need to go, which isn't always easy. So the other great resource for finding, you know, a specialist, particularly with Lyme disease, is like almost every state has a Lyme disease association, certainly in Facebook, there's going to be a state or regional Facebook, a regional uh, Lyme disease association, and you can email them and get referrals. And you can always get referral from the International Lyme Disease Association. And for pandas, you can go to pandas.org. And they're vetted people. So that that is always of, of help. But again, naturopaths, you know, really talking to naturopaths and not every state they're licensed. Are, are they licensed in Maryland? Um, we have NDs, naturopathic oh, doctors yes. who are licensed here. And then we yes. have traditionally trained naturopaths who are not licensed and they're not NDs. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Okay. You know, they yeah. may be nurses or they may be chiropractors or other, you know, people in that realm who have that training, but they aren't, they didn't go to naturopath doctor school. So they're an integrative practitioner of some kind. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Which is great, which is very, very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that can be a barrier, I mean, I live here out, I live 15 minutes from the state capitol it's about an hour from D.C., 30 minutes from Baltimore. Seems like a, you know, active metropolitan area, but it's really very suburban. And we don't mm -hmm. have we do have some integrative practitioners here. And I, I mean, we actually have a lot right here where we are. But, you know, it's not like every place. They're no. all just there, you know. I do know because that's why people fly out to me. Right. You know? And. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, you know, I know, I know I'm offer uh, wonderful, loving expert level care. And I'd love to believe that, you know, what I'm doing, there's lots of people doing what I'm doing, but I know that that's not the case, you know, because we're really a center, right. Yeah. That offers a lot of different things all in one place. So that's unusual in and of itself. And that sort of organically evolved out of client need. And exactly. then, I, and yeah. then I said, well, wait a second. I, I better really step this up because all these, you know, somebody's calling me from Ottawa and somebody's calling me from California or Texas, you know, and and really make this a, a program that feels like, you know, that's meeting going to give people. Yeah. Meeting the need. And and that also that we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time, you know, like, OK, this is what we're doing. Everything's bio bio individual. But even when I had clients that were going back to more major areas, the stumbling block 
block was finding a follow-up practitioner. Mm -hmm. And it could be in one area or multiple areas. So it could be a physician. I get a lot of people from Florida and Florida does not license naturopaths. Mm. So they would be forced to come back here once a year because they loved my naturopath. So, um, and in the state of Connecticut, you have to see them once a year in order to keep them as a client. So, but you could do Skyping and whatnot in between. So mm. as a physician, not, not myself, you have to be licensed yeah. as a therapist. So you're right. It's a barrier in finding people. You, the good news is that for a lot of different types of issues, you can get case consultation with people and that can be enough to get you in the right direction. And it, it can be, you know, integrative medical care. It can be different things, right? So that can be a help. And that also sometimes people will come to me and they'll want to do a QEG brain map and they'll help me and they want me to design a program for them, a treatment plan. And they might be able to find somebody. We might be able to find somebody in their area and they take that route. Right. But um, I can't do a QEG brain map remotely. <laughs> hmm. they, they have to come here. So, you know, there's ways around it and there's a lot more information now. I mean, there's wonderful, these wonderful podcasts and books and lots of information online. And I know, you know, people get irritated. A lot of physicians get irritated because we're all Google MDs. I love when people come in and have done a lot of research. I mean, I just think it's great. I mean, especially my infectious disease people, the adults and the parents, they're just the most genius people. I mean, they have to really connect the dots themselves. So they've made themselves incredibly literate. So I have a lot of respect for that. And it's always shared knowledge. Exactly. And no one knows, no professional knows all about you better than you know yourself, even if 100%. you know they have education and training to say, could this be going on? But, you know, for the person, they're the one who knows themselves the best. Absolutely. You know, for sure. You know, and they and I always really make a point for people to um, I, I implore them to check in with their intuitive self, intuitive selves yes. and say, you know, does that feel right? Does that feel authentic to you? Is that, you know, check in with yourself. And like people are like, wow, nobody's ever said that to me. And I'm like, you need to start doing that. You know, did it feel right? When your kid had eight medication failures and got sicker every time from psych med? No. Well, check in with yourself and make decisions about that now from going forward. You you don't have to do something that people are recommending. And I and and it can be that with me too, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, if <laughs> it know? doesn't resonate for you. It doesn't resonate, you know. So you need to be empowered by that, and make choices. Obviously, do your homework. You know, spend yeah. time, look at things. But does it feel like it's it's going to um, work for you or you're willing to make that commitment, right? Because, you know, even therapy, um, I tell everybody, you know, also something else I've stolen. It's like, you know, taking knots out of a necklace therapy. You know, it's not this overnight process. It takes some work. And guess what? You might be uncomfortable during the process, but in the end, it's going to get you to where you need to be. And I like to say that to people because we really are becoming into a society of zero stress tolerance. Mm. And, you know, so many kids today for a variety of reasons are, you know, have anxiety and depression. I mean, 22% of kids ages 13 to 18 have high level depression or anxiety. 
22%. That's not even counting the mild to moderate. <laughs> right. That's so, not, that's only the ones who tell someone yeah. and go get identified and diagnosed. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, diagnosed with severe levels of, of anxiety and depression. And I, and I think, wow. And, you know, 54% of American children, I'm sure I said the stat the last time, but, you know, have a physical or mental health issue. 54%. And that runs the gamut from anxiety, ADHD, autism, to obesity and asthma. So, Well, children yeah. are like the canaries in the coal mine. They're telling us what's going on it. in our culture. It's, it's true for adults, too, but it, we're more likely to ignore our, our own symptoms yep. where children are showing you when school's saying, do something about your kid. Do something about your kid, yeah. you know, and you go, OK, I'm in a homeschool. Yeah, <laughs> I can't, I can't deal with this. But yeah. we have to stop. I yeah. I wish we could talk more. I think that we're going to need to talk again a few more times, honestly, because you have so much to offer and there's just no way to squeeze it into even one really long episode like this. So we're going to have to just come back and keep talking if you're willing. Oh. I am willing and, and thank you. I really appreciate that. It's really very kind thing. And I have a lot of gratitude for the work that I do and the people that I'm able to help, you know, so I would love to have more conversation because, you know, as we talked about, if, you know, one, it affects one person in a positive way, it makes a difference. And that's important. Yes. Well, thank you. I think you're affecting a lot more than one person in a positive way. And so for the listeners who are either someone who's like, I've got to get to her center, or it's a therapist who's saying, oh my gosh, I need to consult with her or anything in between, where do people find you? So the best way to get a hold of me is through our website and it's drrosanne.com. So it's D-R-R-O-S-E-A-N-N dot com and you can email me there it just has a lot of information we're also just about to we're going to be launching some ceu based training so that's something exciting for practitioners if they want to get on that list but also on facebook so you can just dr roseanne and associates search me on facebook i'm on linkedin i'm on twitter all that but on facebook i have information for both clients but also i have shareable information for therapist, which, you know, it's a great way to let people know who you are as a therapist and, you know, what your philosophy is by what you post. So yeah, that's, you know, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Dr. Roseanne, thanks so much for being on Therapy Chat today. And I really do want to come back to this. So for now, this is just the beginning, but this has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Laura. Thanks again for listening to my interview with Dr. Roseanne Kapana-Hodge. I definitely learned a lot more about inflammatory diseases from our conversation. And as I said, it just wet my whistle to learn even more from her. So we're going to try to have her back on a future episode. And as I mentioned, if you are a trauma therapist or someone who is a practicing therapist wanting to be more trauma-informed, consider joining my clinical consultation groups online. The next meeting is May 8th. That's a Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And the cost is $97 for the hour. It's a great place to be supported in community and have time to talk about your cases. And we have a private Facebook group that we can use in between sessions for keeping in touch. If you're interested in that, 
The website is www.bahealing, that's B-A-H-E-A-L-I-N-G dot com slash SOAR, S-O-A-R. Hope to see you there. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.